Story. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, February 23rd. Another busy championship weekend approaches in the pro tennis world. What should you be prioritizing as a fan? That's the question I hope to answer on today's episode as I break down where things stand in our four tour-level events. Of course, we also have a WTA 125K as well as three ATP challengers I want to touch on as well. It is also worth noting here at the top of today's episode, we still have two weeks of pro results to catch up on while we were away on this show covering the Collegiate National Indoor Championships. We started to catch up on those headlines on yesterday's episodes. We had two for you on Thursday, one with me covering all of this week's action, the other with our dear friend David Kane catching up on some of the other headlines that have emerged amongst them, who right now are the best players in the world in the men's and women's games. How big is that gap between the top and the rest of the field? Who else has stood out here in month number two of the season? That and so much more covered with one of our dearest friends. So if you are looking to catch up like I still am, make sure you check out those podcasts. I will have more to mini break podcast days coming up this weekend as I want to catch up on some other storylines I've yet to address. We really haven't talked at all about what's unfolded during this South American clay court swing in February. I have the exact guest in mind to discuss that topic. I'm hoping to have that guest join us this weekend. We'll catch you up on everything that's unfolded in our first serious clay court portion of the year. We also still have to catch up on some of the American events. Tommy Paul's looked really good. You know, wins Dallas, Finals in Delray Beach. How has he been able to do it? We'll talk about that. Marcos Guerrone playing his best tennis of his career. He's in the top 50 for the first time. Guys like, obviously, Francis Tiafo, Ben Shelton, others as well have all stood out. So got to catch you all up on more broadly what's happening in American men's tennis. There's still some Rotterdam things, honestly, to catch up on as well. Ugo Umber, Grigor Dimitrov, Alex Diemenauer we talked about a little bit, I suppose, yesterday. But lots of stories lines to catch up on, so don't be surprised if tomorrow, Sunday, uh, you see multiple mini break podcast episodes on your feed. Also worth noting here at the top, we've got broadcasts for all of you tennis fans Saturday, Sunday on ESPN+. Plus. On Saturday, we have the privilege of broadcasting number one Oklahoma State, the Cowgirls, taking on Princeton that match, 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. Sunday, going to be a fun one as well, a top 40 showdown. Top 20 Baylor hosting top 40 SMU. Again, that matchup also 2 p.m. Eastern time, also available on ESPN+. Plus. I'm telling all of you listeners, the moment you check out your first college tennis match, you'll understand why we are as compelled by the level as we are here at Crack Rackets. We got two opportunities for all of you coming up this weekend, Saturday, Sunday on ESPN Plus. Again, number one, Oklahoma State taking on Princeton, then a top 40 showdown, Baylor hosting SMU. Both matches, 2 p.m. Eastern time, Saturday, then Sunday, available on ESPN Plus. All of that said, again, the focus of today's episode, I want to catch you up on what's unfolded here on 
quarterfinal or semifinal Friday, depending on where you're at in your events calendar. And certainly, we've got some signature results to discuss. I thought Dubai was going to be just another coronation for Iga Sviantek. Obviously, that's not the case. Sviantek, a stunning loss for the world number one. She's knocked out by one of the rising stars of the last five months in women's tennis, 25-year-old Anna Kalinskaya, who continues the exceptional form. We saw from her not only on her way to her first quarterfinal in Australia, but obviously I got to see it in person at the end of last year on her way to the 125K title in Midland. I want to break down why Kalinskaya has gotten to where she has in the rankings. It's not just two weeks of tennis. No, this has been a five-month, maybe year-long process for the 25-year-old, and now it is very clear she's playing the best tennis of her career. Certainly, Sviantek handed her some gifts, and we'll talk about that here in our breakdown of that match, but it's Kalinskaya versus Paulini for the 1,000-level title in Dubai. That certainly was not on my bingo card to start the week. Paulini's been really good. I am impressed by the Italian's game. The word springy just comes to mind in everything that she does. Want to break down her victory over Kirstea. Fights off six match points and played really good tennis on each of them to do so. Want to break down how she got through in straight sets, set up that final for all of you. And then, I mean, where to start on the men's side? I think the biggest story of the week is 17-year-old Jao Fonseca, the 2023 junior U.S. Open champion. He just has to be on the lists now. He's, what, the youngest South American to make a quarterfinal at a tour-level event since Juan Martin Del Potro. And even beyond just the statistics we'll now be able to pull from his week, it's the level of tennis the 17-year-old has been playing. A straight set win again in his round of 16 match, this time over Christian Green. Kid's the real deal. I want to talk about, once again, what has impressed me so much and break down everything else that's happened in Rio. Obviously, it's a massive weekend in Los Cabos, particularly that bottom half of the draw. Kasparud and Stefano Tsitsipas both really need a win against one another on Friday night, and that's what makes that match so fascinating. I'll explain what I mean here on today's show. Obviously, in Doha, again, things are a little bit offset in terms of what's the best time for me to record this podcast. It's hard because there's literally tennis happening and all regions of the globe here this week. One of those burdens and blessings, I suppose, we have as tennis fans. There's always really good tennis on, but makes a recording schedule pretty difficult to figure out here on my end. Anyways, look, in Doha, I know Karen Hatchinov is taking on Jakob Mensch. That final is set. That's a really good final. It's probably should lead. because Jakob Menchik is a headline as much as Jao Fonseca is. Like, that shouldn't be the last thing I'm mentioning here in these tour-level events is what I'm trying to say because on one hand, look, Karen Hatchinov, after making two total finals, I think, from 2018 to the start of 2023 or till the U.S. Open in 2023, he's now made two finals in the last five months. And for a guy who had been flirting with top 10 status or top 15 status for pretty much five years consecutively, it's pretty clear now when healthy, he's playing the best tennis of his career on the other end, you just have this young rising star, Jakob Menchik, the youngest player to play in a tour final since Carlos Alcaraz. The weapons he plays with, the decisiveness with which he executes those weapons, 
the guy needs to be on the lists as well. Now, we have two teenagers emerging this week. That's what February tennis is all about. Who are the rising stars we now need to take note of as we move into the rest of this season? A couple of them emerging here this week in the pro tennis world. So, again, if you haven't made the time to watch Fonseca, Menchik, I'm going to make the case on today's podcast for why you should prioritize those opportunities here this weekend. Then we'll get into Puerto Vallarta, talk about some guys who have been standing out at the ATP Challenger level as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Sincerely appreciate you mini break podcast fans in particular uh, being as patient with us as you have been over these past two weeks. We're back. We're excited to cover everything that's coming up in the pro tennis world. We won't let our college tennis coverage compromise the schedule of this podcast moving forward. That is my promise to all of you listeners. February is a busy month, but uh, obviously there's a lot of tennis happening, and we appreciate you trusting us to keep you the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. A shout-out to all of you. A shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. Let's start with Dubai. As we look at the weekend ahead, we've already have our final set there. It will be Kalinskaya versus Paulini. Certainly wasn't on our bingo cards as it's a first 1,000-level final for each of our finalists at this event. For Anna Kalinskaya, a crowning moment in what has been a steady ascent back up the rankings. Injury kind of knocked her down in 2022, but look, she's now 39-16. and 16 over the course of her last 52 weeks. The more impressive numbers, obviously, since the end of October, since playing the Tempico uh, 125K event where she made the final, she's 24-5. 24-5 overall since the end of October. 7-3 versus top 50 competition, 4-2 versus the top 20. Yes, that's not the most rigorous schedule, but she has certainly had success. Wins over Sviantek, Goff, Ostapenko, obviously all consecutively at this event. But even before that, a win over a Krejcikova, a win, uh, a win over a Paulini in Australia. Obviously, they've got a rematch coming up uh, here tomorrow a win over Alicia Parks on indoor hard courts is always a top 50 caliber win. A win over Sloan Stevens uh, in three sets in Australia as well, given her lack of success at the majors to get over Sloan in that stage, particularly impressive. There have been some real wins during this 24-5 and five stretch. Obviously, none of them more impressive on paper, more impressive in the sense that you still have to go out and execute the damn thing than her victory today over Iga Sviantek 6-4, 6-4. And look... There's two halves of this equation to get into. Half number one, when Iga, after having, what, five different break opportunities in that 3-2 return game of hers, finally does get the break, goes up 4-2, you thought like, all right, the bubble's burst, still an outstanding week for Kalinskaya. She's still going to walk away with a career high. She's still going to walk away with a first 1,000-level semifinal appearance. She's still going to walk away with wins over both Ostapenko and Goff this week. But, you know, she's just still not quite ready for the buzzsaw that is Iga Sviantek. Iga goes up 4-2, and then her level fell off a cliff. Like, just, again, gets broken at love to give the break right back for 3-4, broken again for, you know, loses the last four games of that final set to drop it 6-4, and her forehand just started spraying on her, and it just felt like much like the Noskova match. Iga's 
rushing through matches now in a way that maybe two years ago, even when the forehand was betraying her a little bit, she found other ways to just extend matches, whether it be with her physicality, whether it be just elevating her forehand with a little bit more depth, a little bit more height, maybe taking some pace off of it. But, you know, again, asking more questions of her opponents. Now, certainly her opponents know the moment she gives them time, they have to be relentlessly aggressive because you are not going to grind down Iga just about ever. And certainly credit to Kalinskaya, who whenever she got a ball service line or shorter, took that opportunity to take it short hop on the rise and try to redirect or play with pace, aggression, and certainly pressure that Iga Sviantek forehand. But even the backhand was spraying cross-court at times. And, you know, again, just... More than anything, Iga felt like she was rushing throughout the course of this match. And ultimately, again, credit to Kalinskaya. You still got to go out there, clear the mental hurdle of knocking off the world number one, knocking off the physical challenge that always is Iga Sviantek. Because, yes, she was spraying at times in this match, but when she wasn't, the forehand was still coming in hot and heavy. And she still pushes you to corners. She still forces you into the outer thirds and makes you so uncomfortable when that ball is landing. And Kyle and Sky was able to extend some rallies. Kyle and Sky was certainly able to coax some errors and make Iga uncomfortable, but a lot of this loss was self-inflicted by Iga Sviantek, and again, she's only lost twice this season. She's off to a fantastic start. If you go listen to the podcast with me and David Kane yesterday, you'll hear us wax poetically that we think Iga Sviantek is very clearly the best player in the world right now, and we thought she was going to cruise to this Dubai title that she lost today. Obviously shocking, and let's be clear, she was down 6 4 5 2. She almost came back in that second set. Like, down match points, fights them off to get the break for 5-3. Holds for 5-4. Knocking on the door of another break for 5-all. Kalinskaya just able to close things out. But even when things were going astray for Iga, even when her level was just clearly not there today, she was able to make things competitive. Now, again, for Iga... She wins the title last week. She was into the semifinals this week. I think she's feeling fine about her level through the first two months of the season with the sunshine swing on the horizon. More importantly, it's just a massive moment for Anna Kalinskaya. Again, 24-5 and five over the course of a four-and-a-half-month stretch, over a 30-match stretch, 39-16, and 16, winning 71% of her matches overall over her last 52 weeks. No surprise that she's top 24 in the world. She's now made a 1,000-level final. She's made a quarterfinal at a major. And she's done all that within a two-month stretch. Like, you look for right now her in the points race on a Kalinskaya, all the way up at seventh in the points race right now. If the, if the year ended today, she's in the tour finals. Now, obviously, we got nine months of tennis to go. Can't make the tour finals in the month of February. You can certainly almost disqualify yourself during the month of February, and she has done anything but that qualifier this week. Now into her first 1,000 level final, where look, she'll face another ascending player in 28 year old Jasmine Paulini. And Paulini's ascent has come a little bit later than your traditional player. So is Kalinskaya's at 25 years old. But Paulini has just been steadily, 
steadily solid over the course of the last 52 weeks, 46 and 29 overall. She's winning 61% of her matches. You look for her since the end of Wimbledon, she's 32 and 17. She's winning 65% of her matches. Again, it's a two-thirds rule candidate. When you're winning two-thirds of your matches, you're making quarterfinals or better consistently. She's made five of them at the tour level, including two 1,000-level quarterfinals, Cincinnati and now here in Dubai. Thus, she's up to a nuclear high of number 16. When you make two quarterfinals or further, and in this case a final, at a 1,000-level event, plus you make a round of 16 at a major, as she did in Australia this year before the loss to Kalinskaya, you're a top 25 player. That's what Paulini has been. She's eighth in the points race right now. It, again, it's very early, but it kind of makes sense. Like Jasmine Paulini, 32, uh, as I mentioned, 32 and 17 since the end uh, of Wimbledon. During that stretch of time, she's seven and four against top 20 players. Wins over uh, Rabak and Albia via retirement, but Kasatkina, Haddad Maya, Garcia, Sakari. Now, a lot of those wins have been three set victories, and that makes sense because watching the 28-year-old play certainly runs hot and cold. Now, the firepower, I mentioned the word springy earlier, that's immense. Like Her ability to explode through the ball, forehand, backhand wing, the pressure she can put on you, it's why she was ultimately able to overwhelm Serana Kirstea in straight sets today. Paulini, a 6-2, 7-6 victory. She fought off six set points in that second set. A couple of them just blistering return winners, like one set point. Kirstea held a second serve. Uh, Kirstea, excuse me, didn't hold it. She hung a second serve. Paulini sprinting around it, exploding through an inside-in forehand. She did that at least nine times throughout the course of this match. Again, how well she can flatten out, drive the backhand. I actually think that's the more solid of the two wings. Certainly, again, Paulini's not the tallest. You can definitely overwhelm her with a little bit of pace, jam her because that forehand backswing gets a little bit big. But, man, when Kirstea wasn't swinging through everything, and even at times when she was, it was Paulini who was dictating from the baseline. It was Paulini's who, whose weapons, in my opinion, were more immense. I mean, it's a third final for Jasmine Paulini at the tour level since the end of Wimbledon alone. Now, she's yet to win a tour title during this stretch. Also lost in a Billie Jean King Cup final, so technically a fourth final, I suppose, but... A massive moment for Paulini, a crowning achievement in what has been a steady rise over the past year. She's now, again, a top 20 player, up to a new career high. Number 16 in the live rankings is the 28-year-old in the prime of her career, and the ranking reflects that. Again, it makes sense her development took a little bit longer because while she's always had these massive weapons, she does she's not the most massive physically. Like It took her a little bit of time to get the strength and you know, the speed to be able to deploy those weapons with the consistency she is now able to. And again, she is so springy, but she's managed to become more consistent. She's managed to rein things in, pick her spots more accurately. And, you know, again, got the withdrawal from Rabakina, certainly a blessing in the quarterfinal, but wins over Sakari, Kirstea, uh, and certainly for Paulini in her win over Fernandez round number two. Who'd she beat in round number one? Haddad Maya as well. That is a Masters final-worthy run. Now, the win over Rabakina would have truly been a feather in the crown, but Haddad Maya, 11 seed. Sakari, top 10 seed. Fernandez playing like a top 25 player right now. And, you know, again, Serrano Kersay is floating right around her career high. She's at 22 right now after Paulini leaps her with this victory. 
Jasmine Paulini's playing great ball. Uh, again, shout out to the 28-year-old. He's had a fantastic week. Paulini versus Kalinskaya. Not the final we expected. 1-1 overalls the career had to head. Obviously, Kalinskaya just beat her in Australia. Kalinskaya, 57.2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I don't know if Kalinskaya... I don't know how she could have any juice left in the tank. Wins over Goff, Sviantek, Ostapenko is even more impressive than what Paulini has done to get to this final. She's swinging through the ball so well. She's certainly the steadier of the two, but Paulini's weapons are just so immense. She's so springy. I think this is where Paulini gets through. Just I think the extra matches for Kalinskaya from qualifying where she had to beat Masarova, Rakimova respectfully, uh, respectively, two top 100 players, I'm going to lean Paulini, but both have had really tough pathways to get there. I just think Paulini, again, she played the earlier match uh, on semifinal Friday. I'll take Paulini to win the rematch. It's really hard to beat a player twice in back-to-back encounters when they happen within a month of one another. And I think the level between these two, pretty the def- uh, the gap is pretty narrow. So I'm going to take Jasmine Paulini, but certainly this is going to be an exciting final in Dubai. Put it on the list of things you got to, at the very least, watch the highlights of from a busy championship weekend. Moving on now to the ATP side of things, let's start in Rio. 17-year-old Jao Fonseca is just the story of the week. He has to be on all of the lists moving forward. He is that sort of prospect. And now he's reached his first tour-level quarterfinal, the first teenager to do so from South America since Juan Martin Del Potro. Fonseca, again, exceptional in a straight set victory over Christian Garin. You know, let's be clear. How many matches has the 2023 Junior U.S. Open champion played in his career at the pro level? He's played 33. You know, this is his first tour-level event. And in his first shot at it, excuse me, second tour-level event, he was a wild card last year in Rio. Second bite at the apple. He's into the quarterfinals. He does it at a 500-level event of all places. Four and four win over Garin. Faced just three break points in the match. He's faced just three break points through two matches so far this week. Explosive. That's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of his game because I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. The backhand sinner esque. His ability to take that ball as a return on the rise down the line, his ability to yank that ball through the court, cross court, his ability to drive it through a court down the line, his ability to explode through the forehand, his willingness, almost eagerness to move forward and do something spectacular on a volley at the net to close off the point, like Alcaraz esque in that trait. And then it's just, again, the charisma, the ability to engage this Rio crowd, get them so thoroughly behind him and have them compelling him forward where, again, he went down breaks in that first set. Multiple times Christian Green had openings, including up 4-3 in that first set. Fonseca found his way back, just continued to stay aggressive, continued to look to assert himself. Look, there could be streaks of two, three consecutive unforced errors, but he continues to keep swinging, and he just has a top gear to him, a capability of, you know, again, to move a fluidity already. This guy's special. You know, again, 21 and 12 through his first 33 matches, and, you know, 
He's yet to play in a final in his career. His first final might come at the tour level in a 500-level event. He's got a massive opportunity. He's taking on 22-year-old Mariano Navone, a credit to Navone, the Argentinian, who, by the way, reached his first quarterfinal at the tour level this week in Rio. By the way, Navone's made 43 now quarterfinals in his career, 42 of them. 42 of the 43 have come on clay courts. Last year made nine challenger-level clay court quarterfinals, went 8-1, and one, I believe, excuse me, 7-2 and two in those quarterfinals. So obviously this is a top 100 clay court player in the world now with that challenger success combined here with this quarterfinal at the 500 in Rio, the 22-year-old Argentinian up to a new career high, number 88. So top 100 debut on the horizon for Navone, who earned an impressive 1-2 victory over Yannick Hoffman. But... Fonsec is the story. I mean, again, 21-12 and 12 overall in his career, now a quarterfinalist at the 500 level, into the top 350 for the first time in his career. Just put him on the list. He has to be on those lists now. The, the explosiveness, the athleticism, the aggressiveness he plays with, the decisiveness he plays with, the charisma as well. He's on the list moving forward. And again, looking at these quarterfinals in Rio. A lot of players who should be on a lot of different lists. For Sebi Baez, he's a top 20 player on clay courts in the world. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He is now into his 14th career quarterfinal at the tour level on clay courts. That all 14 of them have come since the start of the 2022 season speaks to how quickly the 23-year-old has established himself as one of the guys clay court events go through in seemingly every draw he plays. You know, it's a second consecutive quarterfinal for him. He reached it last year in Rio as well before getting knocked out by Nicolas Yari. It's a third straight quarterfinal through three South American clay court events. Clay courts are always where he's going to make his bones. Yes, he won his first tour-level title in Winston-Salem on hard courts last year, but this is where Baez has to thrive, and he's back up to 28 in the live rankings as a result of his February. One of the guys who has been a standout player in this South American clay court stretch again. It is quarterfinal number 14 for him of his career at the tour level on clay courts, a credit to, again, his success, his consistency, his weapons on the surface as well. His forehand is just an absolute bazooka, and he just has that much more time to get to it uh, on the clay courts. Speaking of quarterfinalists, again, just to give you the rundown, Tiago Sabath-Vild, the 23-year-old, makes his second career quarterfinal at the tour level, first since he won the title in Santiago back in 2020. Three-set win for Sabath-Vild over Jaume Munara. He has continued to consolidate his top 100 position. And then here's a fun stat for you. Diego Montero, another quarterfinalist this week in Rio. He is into his 15th career quarterfinal of those 15 quarterfinals, let's see, 3, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 of his 15 career quarterfinals have come in the month of February in South America. That's just impressive. Again, a guy who knows where his bones are made. Don't hate the play. I hate the game. Hate the schedule. Montero knows, hey, this is where I can go make my tour-level quarterfinals, by the way, of his 15 or 13 of the 15 on clay. Again, 11 of the 15 in February, so that shouldn't be surprising. But 
Shout out to the lefty quarterfinalist. He'll take on Sebi Baez, who's 3-1 in the career head-to-head. Again, your quarterfinals now set in Rio. Montero versus Baez. Francisco Sarundolo versus Lajevic. Fonseca, who's 1-0 already, gets a rematch with Navone. Sabeth Vild versus Cam Nori, who's the favorite, 33.6% to win the event. And has looked like the best player in the draw, non-Fonseca category. Uh, he's the favorite according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. That's where things currently stand in Rio, in Los Cabos. I mentioned in the intro, I think it's a massive Friday semifinal for both Casper Ruud and Stefano Tsitsipas. will go head-to-head after their straight-set victories for Ruud. Ball was too heavy. He was too physical. And I, again, too strong for the weapons of Nuno Borges. Three and two win for Casper Root for Sitsipas. His serve, his plus one forehand, they were just better than a really good Alexander Kovacevic. Kova played top 50 tennis. His serve, his forehand, how well he was moving. I was particularly impressed by the former Illini All American who continues to consolidate his top 100 position. But look, the story is this rude Tsitsipas semifinal. Stefano Tsitsipas needs this win. Tsitsipas, 9-12 in his last 52 weeks against top 20 opponents. He's lost his last five against the top 20. Losses to Dimitrov, Runa, Sinner, Zverev, and Fritz. He's also lost seven of his last 10 with three, uh, two of the wins coming against Hachnov and FAA, respectively. He just needs this one. To get things going here this season, he's the defending Los Cabos champion. I'm well aware, by the way, hasn't made a final since winning Los Cabos last August. He just needs to get things going. And obviously an opportunity against a Kasparud, whom he's 1-1 one one against to do so today. I thought he served, hit the forehand extraordinarily well so far. He's been broken just once so far at this event, has fought off 10 of the 11 break points that he's faced He's moving well. Again, he's in his forehand so assertively. The, this These conditions perfect for him because they're a little slower, a little higher bouncing, so he's that much more time to get to it. But he hasn't had a signature victory. You know, he beat Demon Hour Chorich on his way to that Los Cabos title last July. What's his last signature victory over a top 20, top 10 opponent? I don't think it's any of those. I think you'd have to go all the way back to what? 2023 Australian Open when he beat Sinner in the round of 16. Maybe the Hatchinov win in the semifinals given Hatchinov's level coming in. Certainly, you could go all the way back to to what? I, I mean, maybe his win over Zverev in the Rome Masters 2022. Like, it's been a while since Tsitsipas has had a signature victory. And obviously, he fell outside the top 10 for the first time in quite some time this week. He's sitting at 11 in the rankings. Needs to get a title this week, and even if he, yeah, if he gets a title this week, he'll be back up to number nine in the live ranking. So he's a title away and needs a title, by the way. Making the finals won't do it. Needs a title to re-enter the top 10. Needs a signature victory here over Kasparud, who kind of needs it as well. Kasparud, two and four against the top 20 uh, over his last 52 weeks. His last signature win, that four-set win over Runa in the Roland Garros quarterfinals. Of course, Roland Garros semifinals last season. It is worth noting uh, that he beat Alexander Zverev 3-4 in love. That that should count as a signature victory, even if Zverev wasn't back to the level he's at now. But really, since that French Open... He hasn't earned a signature victory since the French Open. He hasn't made a final since Bostad in July. Casper's been really good to start this season. Eight and one overall. His only loss, that weird loss where Cam Norrie played pretty well. And Cam's looked excellent so far in Rio. So I actually think that loss has aged just fine. But 
Casper needs to get things going here. Like this is it's not a must win match for Kasparud, but I think it's more so for Stefano Tsitsipas, who just needs again, he loses this one. You can kind of make the case he shouldn't be in the top ten. You know, Kasparud right now shouldn't be in the top ten either. He's really had that role on Garros final and nothing else that significant over the last fifty-two weeks. It's both guys in similar spots. Like Kind of need this one. And then, look, I think they're going to play Zverev 0-3-4 and four over Kokonakis. Jordan Thompson, really impressive. Love 6-7, six, 6-7-5 seven, six, seven, win. Come back from behind. Was down a break in that third set as well against the talented American teenager Alex Mickelson. Who, yeah, that one will sting, but all signs still pointing up for Mickelson. You look, by the way, for Jordan Thompson into what is his sixth career tour-level semifinal, second of the season already, so great start for him. He's going to be up, is the 29-year-old to a new career high after this week, number 36. Zverev's getting through that one. He's just making things look routine again. He is back to top form. Tsitsipas needs to go one and one at the very worst. Like, he needs to at least beat Rude. You lose to Zverev, fine, but can't lose this one. I Casper can afford to go 0-1 more than Stefanos, but again, two guys who are just looking for some momentum, some signature victories to start the season. Both will have opportunities to get it with the semifinals shaping up as they have in Los Cabos right now. Zverev, 51.5 uh, percent favorite to capture the title according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. Last but not least, again, I'm going to lead with Jakob Menchik on tomorrow's show because Man, has the 18-year-old been impressive. I just like, he's the real freaking deal. Menchik into his first career tour-level final. Keep in mind, he made his first career challenger final in May of last season. Now the 18-year-old's into his first tour-level final. He's the first man born in 2005 to crack the top 100 of the ATP rankings. He'll be up inside the top 100, up to 95 right now. As a result, that's a lie. He was 95 as a result of making the semifinals. As of making the finals, he's up to number 86. So it's a sure thing. He will be the first man born in 2005 to crack the ATP top 100 singles rankings. 641663 over Monfi. I don't know how he has any legs left after the round two match against Murray, let alone now the wins over Rublev, who just asks, extracts every ounce out of you with the heaviness of his ball physically. Now 641663. His weapons were just better than Gael Monfi, and he's so decisive in executing them and hitting the plus one, getting forward behind it, shortening points. His weapons are real. I mean, if he beats. Hatchinov tomorrow, then the Menchik run to this title would be Davidovich, Fokina, Murray, Rublev, Monfi, Hatchinov. Five top 50 players, three top 25. Uh, Davidovich, maybe not three top 25, but three top 35. 18 years old. Like coming into this match, for those of you curious what Jakob Menchik had done in tour level matches coming into this week. He had played just, so he's played four. He had played just seven tour-level matches. Third-round U.S. Open beat Barrer, Drogue, lost to Fritz. Australian Open beats Chapo, loses to Hercots. He had some Davis Cup experience as well, but now in Doha again, wins over Davidovich, Fokina, Murray, Rublev, Mofi, and Hatchinov. In his career now, 84-37, and 37, that's ridiculous, but you look for him against top 100 players. Eight and five in his career against the top 100. Three and two now against the top 50. By the way, again, the, the thing that's been most impressive is 
how successful he is on serve against each of these caliber of opponents. Menchik's the real deal. Like, his weapons are real. The physicality is real. The ease with which he gets into everything is real. The one thing I still need to see is him on slower surfaces. You look for him in his career uh, on clay courts at least to date. Jakob Menchik overall, 33-20. and 20. His first challenger title, of course, in Prague came on the clay. I got to go back and watch the film from that. He won a 15K on clay as well. I just need to see it at the tour level. I mean, I just need to see him play more tour level matches in general, but... Man, on indoor hard courts, it works real easy. This guy is top 50 good already. He's 18 years old. He's the youngest player inside the top 100. And again, first man born in 2005 to crack the ranks. So shout out to Jakob Menchik. Uh, obviously, that is a really interesting final because Karen Hatchnov, let's keep in mind, from his Paris Masters title to his Juhai title last season, he made just two finals, Tokyo Olympics 2021, Adelaide final 2022. He now makes another final right away to start 2024 into the final in Doha. 6-2 and two win over Alexi Popper and fought off four of the five break points that he faced. You look for Hatchinov now with the win. He's back up to 15 in the live rankings. A win tomorrow uh, will keep him there. But, you know, again, this is a guy who dealt with a bunch of injuries uh, last season. And so you look for his last 52 weeks, 34-18 and 18 overall. He's winning two-thirds of his matches. He should continue to ascend up the rankings. He's in the top 25 club. Um, again, it's a massive moment for Karen Hatchinov to get a second title under his belt. Just to, again, kind of consolidate his position of, no, I'm back and playing my best tennis. Massive opportunity for Menchik as well. Right now, no surprise given their delta in experience. Hatchinov, 65.7% favorite. But it's only 657 which speaks to just how well Menchik has played of late. Last but not least, Puerto Vallarta. ATP Challengers update. Let's start on the Challengers side of things. Brandon Nakashima, since October 30th, when he fell to his low of 151 since cracking the top 50 in 2022, he's 28-7 in the eight Challenger events that he's played. Made seven quarterfinals or further and a challenger title. Now this week he's into another semifinal in power with his run again, 28 and 7. Since October 30th, he's gone from 151 in the rankings to 87 now. Back inside the top 100, just back in the mix. Uh, you look for Nakashima. He will face the winner of Otto Vertanen and Luca Pui. Top half's fun as well, though. Leandro Rady, the young Swiss player, continues his success. He'll take on former University of Washington All-American Clement Schiedek, who won a challenger title last week, now into a semifinal again this week, up to a new career high inside the top 350 as such. That's your action in POW. Uh, over in Tenerife semifinal set, it'll be Mistrelli Gigante, Marie versus Travaglia. In Punai, shout out to former All-Americans Val Vashro of Texas A&M, Adam Walton of Tennessee. Uh, both guys continuing to climb the rankings. Walton right now up to a new career high, number 149. He's almost two years out of college. He's top 150 player in the world. Speaks to, again, that translation uh, of college to the pros. Vashro, by the way, 25 years old. He's at 164 in the live rankings. And you look for Val Vashro to start his 2024 season now all the way up to a ridiculous 16 and one overall. That's good, right? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Holding 90.3% of the time in the matches he played. Yeah, you're going to see that tweet out here shortly. Uh, that's all of your challenger action on the 125K side of things over in Puerto Vallarta quarterfinal set. 
Yulia Startup-Seva, former Old Dominion standout, continues her strong start to 2024. She'll take on Tyler Preston. She's the favorite according to Tennis Abstract. American still alive, Haley Baptiste, Robin Montgomery, McCartney Kessler, also former shout out to former college standout, Leah Leah Jean Jean, uh, still alive in the draw. That's everything you need to be aware of as we head into another busy championship weekend in the pro tennis world. Of course, we will be back this weekend to offer you all an update on everything as it continues to unfold. We'll also catch you up on all the other storylines I might have missed while we were away over the past two weeks. Of course, the reason we're able to provide these updates day in, day out are because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout-out to him, a shout-out as well to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that. That said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, all this year at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.